The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Thank you, Ethan, and the praise team. Uh, go ahead, if you will, and turn to, to uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2. And if on your way there you happen to run across 1 Peter, chapter 2, go ahead and put a, put a finger there. We'll be relying on it. Heavily, but Ephesians chapter two is where we're going to be. What a great time it is! Uh, what a great time of the year it is uh, for us to gather as believers and, and to celebrate what is true for us. There is an empty tomb, and because of that, because death could not hold Jesus Christ, death will not hold us. That's a glorious reality in which we we live. I. Um, I'm very excited about what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, I want to start out by, by reading our passage, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 22, um, and then we'll pray. So read with me, Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 11. Therefore, remember... You see, Paul has been talking, before I get too deep into this, Paul has been talking about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins now because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ... We are alive. Uh, So that is why he says here in verse 11, Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made uh, in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, And without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making Peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. With the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also, don't miss this, in Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Pray with me. Lord, you are good, and we have nothing good in us. And Lord, I recognize as I approach your word that I am frail. So I ask you to come and move powerfully in this place. I pray that as I simply seek to place your word on a pedestal and to exalt Jesus Christ, that you, by your spirit, would do your work through your word. Lord, we have confidence in this. Your word accomplishes your purposes. Teach us what it means. 
to be the building. In your name I pray. Amen. Um, We've been going through this series uh, through 1 Corinthians, and uh, Pastor Scott has been gracious enough to grant me the, the opportunity to preach this morning, and he, and he gave me the option to, to continue where he was or, or, to, or to kind of, uh, you know, uh, be a maverick for a Sunday and, and, you know, go out on my own, I suppose. But anyway, uh, I believe that what we are uh, talking about this morning dovetails very well with what we have been talking about in, in 1 Corinthians. You understand this Corinthian church is not exactly a good example of what we are to be as a body of believers. So we're, we're, we're watching the Corinthian church and, and Paul's correspondence to them and we're seeing what not to be. And this is very helpful. Um, and I think it's also helpful to look here, what is, and ask ourselves the question, what is God's purpose for us as a church? Uh, now, of course, this is not the first sermon you've ever heard on this, but perhaps, um, perhaps uh, we can shed a little light um, on God's overall plan for us. What are we to be? What is this thing called the church? Are we simply a gathering? Of course, we're more than some mere civic organization that happens to meet regularly and, and collects funds so that we can keep doing what, what we've been doing, but uh, we are to be so much... More in this passage speaks directly to that. I grew up hearing this phrase. Now, Greg, the church isn't the building. You know, my parents were very careful to stress that to me. And that is true. What we mean when we say the building isn't the church. You know, in other words, you can have a church without brick and mortar. You can have a church that meets in a, you know, in a home, or you can have a church that meets in a field somewhere. It happens all the time in other countries. You can have a church that, that, that meets uh, somewhere without a, a building, but what my parents and, and what others wanted to stress to me was that this place is, is not the church. The church is the body of believers. And while it's true that the building is not the church, What is true is that there is another sense in which we must say that the church is a type of building. And what I mean by that is right here in Ephesians chapter 2, we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone that holds everything together. Verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There is this awesome reality that we are about to explore. That we are being built into the very dwelling place of God. Uh, An outpost in our community. An outpost in a world that is turned against God. We are the actual dwelling place of the one true God. How awesome. Is that we're going to begin here in verses uh, eleven and twelve, and uh, in order to understand what we are to be as this church, in order to understand who we are to be as this this building that God is 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 building together, founded on Jesus Christ, is we must remember the past separation. Remember the past separation. Verse 11. Therefore remember that, it, that you at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. Uh, verse 12. Remember that at one time you were separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. 
And you were strangers to the covenants of promise. I want you to understand, and I want myself to understand each day, that there was one time, there was a time in which I am not, I was not who I am today. There was a time in which I was separated from Christ. This passage speaks to unity and how this this, uh, body is growing together as one people. And I think that if anything will bring us to, will put us on a level playing field, if anything will remind us that we are all really not that much different from one another, it is the, it is the, um, when we come to the place where we recognize that at one time, everyone in this room, if you are a believer now, at one time you were not. You were apart from Christ. And you had no way to get to him on your merits. And that was true of everyone. That breeds unity. If we're going to live in unity with one another and in daily worship of the salvation that we've experienced, we must remember where we came from. We must remember this past separation that at one time we were not who we are today. If we were to be unified, you understand, these are good days at our church. We have people who have been here for generations and generations and generations, and we've got people who are walking in our doors every month at joining to our ranks. If we are to be unified as, as one body, one thing that is going to get us there is this understanding that at one, at one time, everyone was on the outside. Um, I'm very thankful for how this church has welcomed me and my wife in the past couple of years. Um, but it doesn't matter how welcoming a body can be. When you leave the place that you grew up, where you know everyone, you are keenly aware when you move to a new place, whether it's a church or, or, or a new job or, or whatever the case may be, whenever you move to a new place, you are keenly aware that, man, I'm on the outside. I don't have the history. I don't have the, the, the memories of, of, of times long ago. And if we were to welcome new people, assimilating everyone so that we become unified as a body, I think it would go a long way if we, if we, looked, if we look here at what Paul is writing to the Ephesians. This, this will be feasible if we remember our state apart from Christ, that we've all been on the outside at one time. We've all been on the outside of faith. But only because of Jesus Christ are we one. Not only do we need to recognize or remember the past separation, we need to recognize the present serenity. You understand? I hope you all are enjoying my alliteration here. Um, remember the past separation. Remember that we at once were all separated from Christ. Secondly, we need to recognize the present serenity. In Christ, there is a peace that we now have that we would not have apart from him. Uh, We glean this from verses 13 through 16. But now, on on this clause, everything hinges in this passage. Paul has been talking about our, our, our reality Apart from Christ, he says, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You you understand in this context in the Ephesians. The early church, one of the biggest struggles was between groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, Actually, in the church in Rome, this is particularly um, uh, uh, seen here because uh, what happened was a lot of the Jews got kicked out of Rome. The, The charter members of the church were kicked out of Rome, and the Gentiles were still there. So the Gentiles were members of the church and all of a sudden a new emperor came or a new governor came and the people who had been kicked out, the Jews were now allowed back into Rome and now this church has to sort through, well, how, you, know, well, you know, how are we going to relate to one another now? These people have been gone. Uh, they were at one time here. They were the charter members. Now they're back and, and we're trying to figure out how everything's going to work out. Well, what we understand here is that because of Christ, there is, a, there is a serenity, there is a peace that is brought about between all kinds of groups of people, Jews and Gentiles, possibly the most polarized groups of this time. It was scandalous to associate between these two groups. An example, small example from my life, my best friend in this world apart from my wife, is a guy named Will Broadus. Will and I should not be friends. He grew up in South Greenville listening to hip-hop. He's a black guy. I grew up in rural North Carolina in a town that you have to have a magnifying glass to find on a map listening to country music. My biggest concern was, is Alabama going to come out with a new album before they retire? And here Will is in South Greenville, and he's growing up in the city, and I'm growing up in the country, and we meet one another. But because of this bond that we have in Christ, we can be friends. We have very few things in common other than Jesus Christ and our passion for the gospel. But because of that passion, the gospel unites people who should not otherwise be united. And how wonderful is that? Not only does it unite groups of people, it unites everyone, wherever you are from, whoever you are. It unites you to God. There is not only a peace between people horizontally, there is a peace between people and God vertically. Christ has broken down this dividing wall of hostility. Perhaps you consider yourself near to the gospel. You grew up in church. You grew up with Christian parents. Praise God for Christian families. Perhaps you grew up very far from anything having to do with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came and preached peace to those who were near and peace to those who were far. And so should we. This also solves the problem of the church being relevant. You understand that there is no more relevant passage or message in the Bible. There is no more relevant message to our world than a message of reconciliation. We have hostility. 
with God, with one another. We need reconciliation to God, to one another. How much hostility is there in our world? There's so much. Just turn on your news. Those stories make the, make the top of the list. Where there's hot, you know, someone's been shot. Some company is split apart because of scandalous business dealings. There is hostility in our world. And it is foolish to think that this gospel, this message of reconciliation is not what our world needs. There is a speaker who claims uh, the name of Christ who recently came out with a video introducing his new book. It will be sold wherever books are found except for Lifeway Christian stores. His book is based on the premise that God is like an Oldsmobile. Oldsmobiles were great cars. Man, they could run for a couple hundred thousand miles. But the factories have shut down. And they don't make Oldsmobiles anymore. Oldsmobiles were for the last generation. Oldsmobiles, no one wants to buy those anymore. They're not relevant. It's a bygone car for a bygone age. And he says, this is like the way that we talk about God. The God that we have preached, the gospel that we have preached is no longer relevant anymore. It's for a bygone age. He says, we need to therefore change the message. Understand, there's a difference between changing how we preach the gospel to a new generation and changing the very message of the gospel. We must be all about contextualizing the gospel, making sure that people understand what the gospel is, the, the ways that we used to explain the gospel may not work today because not many people grew up in church and they don't know our language, so maybe we need to change how we express the gospel, how we convey it, but we never change the message. Because if we change the message, then there is no way that the people to whom we speak can ever be saved because we are not taking to them the true gospel. There is only one name under heaven by which men can be saved. Verse 17 and 18, not only do we need to remember the past separation and recognize the present serenity, but we need to revel in preaching and the Spirit. I was kind of proud of myself when I could do three of those. Verse 17 and 18. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. Christ Christ came and preached peace to those that culturally he should have. And he preached peace to those that culturally he shouldn't have. He was a Jew. It was scandalous for him to talk to the woman at the well. It was scandalous for him to eat with the sinners. It was scandalous for him to dine with the tax collectors. But he preached peace to those who were near and peace to those who were far. This is what Christ did. This is an indicative. It's telling us what he did. And Christ's indicative should be our imperative. What Christ did should be what we do. What Christ did is a command to us how to live, how to share the gospel. We should be taking pains. You understand? 
God sent the Son. He took pains to take this gospel message. So should we. Not only should we remember the past separation and recognize this present serenity and revel in preaching, and I don't mean just what I'm doing up here, but I mean taking the gospel, preaching, proclaiming this message in the streets. But we should also resolve to be made the perfect structure. We should resolve to be made by God into this structure that He has willed us to be. Verses 19 through 22 says, say this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But at one time you were, remember? You were once outside looking in. You were no longer strangers and aliens, but you are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You are no longer strangers. You are family members. You are no longer aliens. You are citizens. Members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows up into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The purpose of our being reconciled is, of course, as Ephesians 5 tells us, that Christ's church may be pure, but is also that we might stand as an outpost of God's presence In an ungodly world, you understand, it is true that we stand as an outpost preaching his message, but we are not merely that. We are, in one sense, the presence of God in our community and in our world. Because God lives in his people and he lives in his church and he seeks to glorify himself through that institution. And I pray that we would not miss this. We represent nothing less than the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is no small thing. It would not be improper for us to approach this reality with tears in our eyes, trembling that God would see fit to use us to advance His kingdom, to be His kingdom. Well, we see a great parallel to this passage in 1 Peter chapter 2. I want you to to turn there for a moment. 1 Peter chapter 2, the first 10 verses. So many similarities here, so many parallels. We'd be remiss to, um, to skip over this. It starts out, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Just a little side note there. That is a quote from Psalm 34. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, Psalm 34. If you ever meet someone who doesn't, you know, maybe a cult group, um, um, who doesn't believe that, that Jesus is God, Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that Jesus is divine. Go to Psalm chapter 34 and ask them, who is this talking about? Taste it and see that the Lord is good. Well, they'll say Yahweh, Jehovah, God, the Father. Okay, we'll take them to 1 Peter chapter 2 where it quotes that verse. 
It's a very explicit reference to Jesus Christ. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men. Remember this living stone, this cornerstone around whom we are being built into this house. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who don't believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become a cornerstone. The one that men threw out is the foundation of the church. And a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, a contrast here, but you are a chosen race. Take this in for a moment. We have this verse printed out there on the wall. Just revel in this for a moment. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Purpose clause, that, or in order that, or so that, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who you call, uh, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, remember Ephesians chapter 2? Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Why are we to be this house? Why are we to be this building? Why should we seek to be unified and to seek to rally around God's word at every moment? Why are we a chosen race? Why has God made us a royal priesthood? What are these spiritual sacrifices? So that you may proclaim his excellencies. We see here the same thing. If you'll flip back to Ephesians, this is so cool. Ephesians, if you look down past where we were in chapter 2, we're now in chapter 3. And this is Paul saying, this is why I was made a minister of the gospel. Chapter 3, verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. So that, get this, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It's through the church that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is the purpose for which we gather. And if we gather for any other purpose than to put Christ on a pedestal, and if we, if we uh, uh, associate ourselves together for any purpose, if we uh, construct our budgets around any other purpose, and if we form our ministries around any other purpose than proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ, then we are woefully misled. And I pray that that would not be our reality. 
I pray that we would be a church who becomes so passionate. What a wonderful time for us to be reawakened to this notion here in this Easter season that we have a message to take, that our God is the one who's not dead. What a wonderful time of the year to be reawakened and for God to re-stir in our hearts this passion for His glory that we may take this gospel with a renewed passion to our community. That we may take this gospel with a renewed passion to Toronto and wherever He may lead. I just want to help you Connect the dots here. First Peter, remember my little alliteration or assonance or whatever it was. I can't remember. It's been a long time since English. Here we see Peter, in First Peter, if you flip back now, echoing Paul's ideas. Remember this past separation? Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. This is what motivates us, that we have been brought near by the blood of Christ and only by the blood of Christ, and this should change us when we remember what used to be true. Some people say, and this is, this is so important, I mean, this is, this is so true, and I understand this, and I feel this, and I... And I, and I, I comprehend what people mean when they say this. Some people say, I have just been, I've just grown up in church. I, I grew up in the, in the Lord and I don't even know when a moment was when I was saved. But I've just been around this. It's hard for me to, to comprehend how, like, it's hard for me to understand how, how I was far off. And that is true. I, I understand that, and I and I affirm that. I myself grew up in church, and it seems like you just you just you know you just kind of grow up in it. But here's the deal: what can remedy that, and what can help us remember the reality is when we go to the Word of God, and we read things like this that say, "Once you were not a people," and it reminds us. It shows us this truth that even though we might have been four or five or six or seven when we got saved, and we really, I mean, we didn't murder anybody before we were saved. And, you know, we, we didn't, we, we weren't, you know, uh, into all of this deep, dark sin. We were reminded that once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. There was a time when you had not received mercy, but now you have. We, we can remember this past separation. Verse 9 Remember the present serenity. Verse 9 says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We can revel in preaching in the Spirit, the second part of verse 9, that you may proclaim, preach, take to the streets the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And we can resolve to be the perfect structure. Verse 5, kind of backtracking here. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I pray that this will be true. And as I close, I want to leave you with one word. This is what all of this means. We must be ready As the stones in the building, we must be ready to be rejected like the cornerstone was. You understand, Jesus Christ 
the, the parable of the tenants. They killed the son to whom the inheritance was to come. And we likewise killed the son of God. He was rejected by men. Persecuted. And if we follow him well, so will we be. They rejected the cornerstone. They will reject the building. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you, John 15, 18. I pray that we can echo with Peter, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory revealed. I pray that our church, that us as as individuals, as as a corporate body, because that is particularly what's in view in this passage, that we would be prepared to take pains to take the gospel and that we would be prepared for the repercussions. Pray with me. Lord, we beg of you, come among us and effect your good purposes. Cause something in us individually and cause something in us corporately that cannot be explained by us. I pray that we would live sacrificial lives, that we would not consider our status as worth more than our salvation. I pray that we would not consider this passing world as more important than the eternal things into which we can invest now. Effect your good purpose in us, Lord, we beg of you. We come to you as beggars. In your name I pray, amen. We are going to have a moment where we just ask you to reflect on the word of God. We do this so that we can just engage our minds for a moment and so that the Holy Spirit can have an opportunity to knit these truths deeply within our hearts. Um, After that, if you feel that this requires some kind of response of you. Uh, feel free, this, this altar is, is open, this, um, this place, you can come and confess whatever perhaps the Spirit lays on your heart to confess. Um, take advantage of this time. Um. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.